so just to give you a little update on our lives, uh, for some of you, it's interesting here, I'm standing here and there's a lot of faces I recognize, but you know, there's a good number of faces I don't recognize that I almost feel like I need to introduce myself. And, uh, but as you guys, most of you know, Julie and I, we were essentially kind of fixtures in this place for uh, almost the last eight or nine years. And uh, this was our home church, and this is where we started out doing ministry work. And uh, the first time that I spoke was here, and if you remember Ken Windsor, he told me when I grabbed my cup, there was a, well, there's a little bit of a thunderstorm in there today, too. Um, he told me there's a thunderstorm in my cup, and uh, I kind of feel that way a little bit this morning again. Um, as you guys know, over the years, uh, the Lord had called us towards more ministry, and specifically to Kamloops, probably it's been six or seven years in the making. And uh, finally, we stepped out in this past year. Um, it's been good. It's been really good. The Lord's opened doors. Uh, he's placed us in a new community. He's uh, got a great school that Morgan's part of. Uh, he's blessed me with uh, the ability to provide for my family. And he's blessed us with a place to do ministry. And uh, so right now, we're renting this tiny little theater space. The Kamloops Player Society has a theater, and they have a little front room, and, we, and we're meeting in there. And um, we've been meeting since, like Matt said, October, November. Um, it's interesting. When you start out in church planting ministry, you have all these grand ideas, and you know that you're not to necessarily have expectations that we're going to have a crowd of 200 in a week. Uh, though part of you kind of wants that, and part of you that scares the living daylights out of that you have one person show up. Um, you know, there's highs and lows as you start out. And, you know, Christmas time, I had it in my mind that Christmas was going to be a great time to do a little bit of a launch push, a little bit of a push for Christmas Eve service. And, you know, I... Uh, I heard that radio works, that radio is a good, good means of advertising. So I went down to the local radio station and dropped five, six hundred bucks at the radio station and next thing you know, my voice is on the radio. Come on out to Christmas Eve service. I heard that electronic means are the way to advertise these days. Facebook, Facebook ads, lots of Facebook ads, several hundred dollars in Facebook ads. And that's, you know, you only pay when they click. That's not just for the ones they see. It was a couple hundred dollars worth of clicks. And like 90 likes and like 20 comments, you know, po poking their friends. Are you going? Are you going? So in my mind, I was sure that the Lord was bringing us some people. I thought, you know what? Let's not use the front room, the little front room. Let's use the big room in the back. And let's set up, get the Christmas tree on and turn the lights on. And um, we had a really great Christmas Eve service with our two families. And, you know, you go through disappointments. And sometimes you need to be deflated a little bit. Um, sometimes you need to be put in your place and remember that you are not the one in control. And that the means that we use to advertise, the means that man uses, isn't necessarily what God uses to draw people. I was also really reminded that it's relationship. I can go and I can blast a whole pile of ads. I could spend $100,000 on ads. But they're just ads. It's relationship where we get the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we learned a lesson at Christmas time. 
And it doesn't mean we're not going to do some advertising and a few things, but just was affirming and learning a lesson that it's not by strength, it's not by might, but it's by the work of the Lord. It's his work, not ours. That being said, since, since uh, Christmas time, the Lord has brought us a wonderful couple. And honestly, our church right now is three families. And uh, to this morning, it's two families because one family's here. <laughs> Um, and the Lord has brought just a lovely couple that she's leading worship there because normally I'm the one-man band singing monkey. And uh, so it's good. The Lord's, I think he's stretching us. He's teaching us. Um, you know, if the Lord doesn't do a work in my heart and Julie's heart and Phil's heart and Barb's heart, um, how can we expect to be used of him to reach the city of Kamloops? Um, so that's where we're at. Uh, God's been good. He's provided. Everyone lied to us about Kamloops too. You know that? Everyone said a week or two before Christmas, it's going to get white. You're going to have a white Christmas. And they said, by Valentine's Day, it's gone. <laughs> gone. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You know what? Uh, at our house this past week, the last little bit of snow finally melted and the frost is just coming out of the ground. At Phil and Barb's house, they still have six inches of snow in the backyard. And... Uh, I think they almost have a swimming pool under the trampoline where the water's melting. So uh, it's, it's good. And uh, like I say, the Lord's provided really well. Um, I've been blessed with a great job that I have the, uh, I work four tens. Uh, so I'm working full time outside of the church ministry stuff. And um, it gives me the ability to focus on some ministry time. It gives the ability to have these five off that I'm on right now because I'm on a rotation uh, that we're out here visiting you guys. Um, it's been so awesome that we're not out there on our own, that we're here from, uh, or that we're in Kamloops from being sent, uh, being sent by two churches, that we're out there with another couple, Phil and Barb. For those of you guys that know them, they are absolutely wonderful, godly people. Uh, the Lord's really been building a great friendship between our families, and it's really great. I got Phil teaching a third of the time at least, sometimes up to a half when I bug out for a weekend like this, or get really sick like I did a little while ago. So anyhow... That's what's going on. That's the, that's the church plant update. Three families. But you know what? I'm trusting that God's faithful and he has a plan and he's going to build it in his time. And um, so, hey, I appreciate your prayers and uh, your support. Um, and yeah, God's good. So, hey, um, as far as teaching for this morning, you know, I was a little bit torn as to where, where, we're gonna, where was I going to go and what was I going to teach. And uh, the last few weeks, I've kind of wrestled and I flipped off. Uh, I'm going to go to chapter 13 where I was supposed to teach. We really because I read that passage. Um, and then I thought, oh, I'll pull something out. And I th- it's like, Lord, show me something in my quiet times that I can bring to CTK. And uh, in t- right now, I'm on a reading plan that takes me through all kinds of different spots. And uh, a week or so ago, it took me through Psalm 115, 16, and 17. And uh, I thought, wow, these are great psalms. I kind of read 118. Psalm 118 is awesome. So we're going to look at Psalm 118 this morning. And uh, I, I hope that we'll see Jesus Christ uh, in the psalms uh, clearly this morning. Um, as I was studying this week, I tripped across this quote from Martin Luther. And this is what Martin Luther said about Psalm 118. This is my psalm, my chosen psalm. I love them all. I love all Holy Scripture, which is my consolation in my life. But this psalm is nearest to my heart. And I have a peculiar, peculiar, that, peculiar, 
right to call it mine. It has saved me from many pressing danger, from which nor emperor, nor kings, nor sages, nor saints could have saved me. It is my friend, dearer to me than all honors and power of the earth. But it may be objected that the psalm is common to all. No one has the right to call it, uh, call it his own. Yes, but Christ is also common to all. And yet Christ is mine. I am not jealous of my property. I would divide it with the whole world. And would to God that all men would claim the psalm, especially theirs. So let's read through the psalm and then we'll pray and we'll try to bust it down a little bit. Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. On a side note, between verse 8 and verse 9 is the middle, if you count verses in our Bible. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surround me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surround me, surround me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surround me like bees. They went out like a fire among the thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard, uh, and I was so I was that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up upon the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Father, we thank you that your word is true, that it's living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. We trust that you have a purpose for it this morning, Lord. I thank you that when we reflect and think about it, your love does endure forever, Lord. And Father, as we look at this passage this morning, I pray that you would reveal what you have for each of our hearts this morning, Lord. Father, I ask that words that I have prepared would be your words, Lord, and ones that 
I ought to skip, Lord, that you wouldn't take them off the page, Lord. We ask for a demonstration of your Spirit's power in our midst, Lord, not wise and persuasive words. And we just pray that we would see Jesus Christ glorified and lifted high in the Scripture this morning. Amen. Verses 1 through 4, you notice that the, the book, or the chapter rather, it ends and starts in the same place. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. You know, the word steadfast, we don't necessarily use it a lot in our language anymore. The idea of you bust the word down is stead. Stead, the idea is the role that someone or something should have what it ought to have. And we're talking about the love of God here. The role that God has is fast. It's sure. It's dependable, resolute. And it endures forever, eternal, lasting. It puts up with whiners like you and me, actually. I love how he starts out and he says, let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. We have three distinct people groups, or groups of people that he starts off with. He says, Israel, my chosen people. Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, that line, may they say, his steadfast love endures forever. The house of Aaron, his chosen priestly servants, those who were to minister before him in the temple, that they would say that his steadfast love endures forever. And thirdly, it's for all. All those who fear the Lord, that we may be able to say his steadfast love endures forever. It's for all, it's for all of us. You know, the context of this chapter most scholars seem to think is Ezra and Nehemiah coming back and rebuilding the temple and the walls around the city of Jerusalem and the tough times. So you, you just kind of keep that in mind as we look at these next verses. If verses 5 through 7 says, out of my distress, think of the hard times when those guys came back. Out of the distress I called on the Lord and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Look how he describes the distress that they're under. Jump to verse 10 through 13. Listen to this. All the nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, and the Lord helped me. Verse 5, he says, In my distress, I called out to the Lord. I love how he describes what's going on and the fury of the distress that they were under. You know, when I was a kid, uh, my dad on the side did re-roofs. Um, all summer long, we tore worn out roofs off of houses, and we put new ones on. When this passage says a swarm of bees, it reminds me of re-roofs. If you're doing a cedar shingle roof, there's all the slats that go on top of the trusses, and then all the, all the shingles, they go on top of there, okay? So when you need to take that roof off fast, you grab a crowbar, and you hook the edge, and you start tearing down between the slats. 
every once in a while, your crowbar goes through a huge hornet's nest. I remember one situation where we got off the roof as fast as we possibly could because this was a big nest. Seriously, I'm probably exaggerating because I was a kid, but it was big. And we tore our crowbar right through the middle of the nest. We all got stung some. A swarm of bees came out. You know, they're actually furious, uh, ferocious. They're, it's something you fear. You see a swarm of bees, you want to get out of there. We ran as fast as we could down the ladders to get away. And then we went and we got raided and we tried to kill the thing so we could finish the job. That's how he's describing the distress, being surrounded by angry bees. Or how about fire? You know, fire can do great things, but fire can be dangerous. Talks about fire in a thicket or in thorns. I think of tinder dry blackberry bushes that someone lights and it's like a forest fire. It builds its own, it's built its own wind and it flames into fire. I don't know, you know, for you and I, we probably have different things in our life that distress us that we need to call out to the Lord. Sometimes we can swing into places of despondency. I know for me, you know, Christmas Eve service. I hobbled through Christmas Eve service and I went into a funk. I went into a place of despondency. Maybe you go through highs and lows. Maybe you're facing challenges in health. Maybe you're cha- facing challenges in your marriage. Maybe you're facing challenges financially, whatever it might be. Maybe you feel like you have a swarm of bees around you. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in the thicket and someone has thrown a torch at the end. That is what the writer is talking about. That's how the writer is feeling. Despondent, distressed, not knowing what to do, not knowing where to turn. Everything in his flesh doesn't doesn't make sense anymore. There's, can't comprehend it, can't move forward. But what does he do? What does he declare? He says, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord, he declares, is on my side. Remember when David, I think it's Psalm 55, he says that you hem me in. He's got your front, he's got your back. You know, um, Joel was describing seeing Donald Trump's caravan fly through Washington and cops all around protecting, going so fast and the guy with the turret, you know, protecting the president. God, our Father, through his son, Jesus Christ, he hems us in, he protects us like a presidential motorcade. Even when we cannot make sense of it, He declares, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Will not fear. What can man do to me? You know, the worst that man can do is they can take away, they can take away our stuff. We can lose our health. We may be we may even lose the breath in our lungs. We never want to, we we so we want to live. We want to see our families. We want to see all this stuff. The worst that man can do is take away what we think is everything. 
but he cannot take away our hope in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you guys. I've been thinking about this a little bit more lately. My grandfather went to the hospital three weeks ago, and he's out now, but he's in palliative care. And it just struck me about how life comes to an end. We always think it doesn't. We think, we think that it's going to go on forever, and we want, we want to enjoy it, and we want to make the most of what God's given us. I get it. But it just reminded me of the frailty of life as I went and I looked at my grandfather in the hospital bed. I want to be able to say, as Paul did to the Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain. To die is to go be with the Lord. And I want to call out, sometimes he's going to save us from the taste of death for a time. And sometimes we get, we'll get to go be with him. I don't know. But he calls out, and that's where he found his hope. That's where he found his triumph over those who were against him, over those who hated him. So much so that he says, starting in verse 8 and 9, that it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. You know, I, I can very easily, you know, the Lord has blessed me and my family. I have an incredible job, the best job I've ever had in my life, quite frankly. It pays better than anything I've ever had. It's really easy to trust in my ability with the work of my hands, to trust that the paycheck's coming in, to trust these things. It's really easy to go there. It's really easy to trust my wisdom or the wisdom of someone else or whatever, the wisdom of the world. Our systems but it's better to take refuge in the Lord. Refuge is safe shelter, safe accommodations. It's the idea of in a storm, a safe port where you can moor your vessel and moor for night without fear. I got one little rant. You're gonna have to say, forgive me on this one. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not liberal or conservative, Republican or Democratic. It's not about politics. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ and our hope ought to be in Jesus, not in the man-made institutions. The Apostle Paul in, in Timothy, what did, he, what did he say? Pray for the, govern, the, governors, the governments, the rulers and, and authorities that we may be able to live a peaceable life. There's my rant. I can go a lot longer, but I, I promise you I'll hold it there. Better to take refuge, better to take safe harbor in the loving arms of our Savior than in the systems of our world. He says, all the nations surround me. In the name of the Lord, I'm cut off. They surround me, surround me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I'm cut off. They surround me like bees. They went out like a fire among the thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard. I pushed hard so that I was falling. He came to the end of his ability in himself. And he says that the Lord helped me. The Lord helped me. Verse 14. <clears throat> the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. <clears throat> Does that phrase sound familiar to you? It's a song of deliverance. Exodus chapter 15. After the Lord brought his people out of Egypt, the song of Moses. 
Then Moses and the people of Israel sang, this is the song of the Lord saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God, I will exalt him. The writer references and is reminded about the song of Moses as Moses declared where his strength is found, where his song is found, where his salvation is found. You know, as I think about this simple verse, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is our source of victory. The Lord, he says, is the source of his song. You know, I recently taught through uh, Acts chapter 17, I guess it is, and 17, 16, 17, um, where uh, Paul's in Philippi. Paul and Silas are in prison, right? And we know the story well. They're, they're in shackles. It's in a bad spot, bad situation. And what do they do? They raise their voices in praise, and they raise their voices in prayer before God in a situation that they didn't know if they were going to get busted out, and they didn't know if they were going to die in the morning. They didn't know what was going on. But the Lord gave them an ability to sing, And some it was a choice. They sang. They prayed. I know if I am in the dumps, for myself at least, I don't know about you guys, but for myself, if I can sing praises to the Lord, it lifts my countenance. He is the source, he says, of our salvation, the place of our hope. Amen? Verse 15. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I want, you know, you just read the first half of the verse. Glad songs are in the tent of the righteous. What is the song? What should our song be? And what did they do? They were declaring the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. You know, we don't use that word valiant much, do we? If you do a, just a quick Google on it, the, the, where it came from, it's the idea of being robust, well-built, strong, showing courage, bold, fearless. I love this one, lion-hearted. The right hand of the Lord exalts. What does it mean to exalt? One of the meanings of exalt is to make noble character. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord makes noble character. The right hand of the Lord is lion-hearted and bold. So I thought about this right hand of the Lord. When we think of the right hand man, when we think of the right hand of, of someone in authority, it's a, it's a symbol of power. It's a symbol of prestige. It's, a, it's you know, if it was a king and his son, the son bears the power of the king. What does that remind you of? You know, for me, it takes me straight into Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, the writer says, but when Christ had offered for all times a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. sat down at the right hand of God. Who's at the right hand of God the Father? Who is 
valiant and lion-hearted on the cross. Who can make us noble? I don't know about you guys. I can't be made noble in myself. Who can make me righteous before God? Who can make me noble before God? Only by faith in Jesus Christ. I look at the right hand of the right hand of the Lord, and I think Jesus. The right hand of the Lord, I think Jesus. The right hand of the Lord, I think Jesus. Valiant. Exalted. And the only one who can exalt to make a noble character, not just put on a pedestal. The declaration after, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. It's confidence of the writer looking towards Messiah. You know, the Old Testament guys that were looking forward to Jesus as we look back to Jesus Christ, his work on the cross. What does he do? He recounts the deeds. He sings, gives glory and adoration. He says, you know, we've been disciplined severely, but not given over to death. You know, if we're talking the context of the nation of Israel, they had been exiled from Babylon for their sin. They were kind of allowed to go back and kind of rebuild, but it was not easy. They were attacked. They had to have a man on a sword and a man building. It was not easy times. But what the Lord has preserved his people, has he not? I don't believe that God's done with his people. but he has not given me over to death, the writer says. It's a contrasting conjunction, not given over to death. When someone's given over to something, we'll say, oh, someone's given over to booze or someone's given over to this. And the idea is that they've been given over and they're controlled by something. That something has victory. But it says that we, uh, he says, he has not given me over to death, that death no longer has victory Think of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Our hope in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life, for life for today abundantly and life everlasting so that death can be swallowed up in victory. Spiritual death does not happen. You know, all of our tents are gonna break down and they're gonna die, every single one of us, unless the Lord comes first. Spiritually, we need not taste death. Habakkuk 2.4 says the just live by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ alone. Verse 19 says, Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. The stones that the builder rejected, or the stone that the builder rejected, rather, has become the cornerstone. I love the cry. Open to me the gates of righteousness. Is that not a question that we all must ask of our God? Open to me the gates of righteousness. Save me, O oh God. Apply the payment for my sin. Apply that to my account. You know, we know that the idea of righteousness is right standing before God, that we're justified, we're made right. You know, we often will try and do it on our own. 
but we cannot. We need to go through the gate of righteousness. When we try to do it on our own, this is what it says in 1 John. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We can't get there on our own. We need God's gate, God's way. And he says, I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. And then he identifies the gate. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Do you recognize that? Acts chapter 4. It's Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin. And they're explaining and teaching who Jesus is. And they're testifying to his death and his resurrection and the place where salvation is found. And they say, starting in verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that you rejected. That was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which men may be saved. You know, the idea of tossing out the cornerstone, I was thinking about it like, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense if you're a builder to take the best thing and chuck it off to the side. Because that's the description, is it not? The builders rejected has become the cornerstone or the capstone. It's almost like you're building a house today and you're used to getting kind of the junky lumber that you get these days. If you look at lumber these days, it, you know, sometimes it depends where you're on the lumber, but sometimes you like get C and D grade and it's full of knots and it's got cracks in it. And when you look up, it's got bows in it. And it's like they're building from a, a home in a way from a bundle of lumber and there's one piece of old growth fur in there. <coughs> nice tight grain. Not one knot in it. When you take a look on it, the crown's beautiful. The perfect piece of wood. But it's like the builder goes, no, that can't be right. There's at least has to be one or two knots in it. And a, a twist so I can try to straighten it out. I mean, you know, like what am I supposed to do with this perfect thing? And chucks it in the ditch. That's the idea. We, they took the perfect thing and chucked it in the ditch. But that perfect piece of lumber, when God the Father came and finished things, he grabbed that perfect piece of fur and he pulled it out and it's put across the building as the defining instrument of the building now, that beautiful piece. The idea is that they rejected Jesus Christ, that perfect sacrifice. Chucked him in the valley. Tradition is that they were chucked in the valley and by the Kidron Valley. It's become the cornerstone, the author and perfecter of our faith. The place, the source of our salvation. It's a beautiful thought. He says, I thank you that you answered me and became my salvation. Thank you that you answered me. When we call on the Lord, he answers. He's a living God. He is not a God of stone, not a God of rock, not a God of gold, not a God of silver. He is living. And he listens. And if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all. He wishes that not one be saved, but that all come to repentance and knowledge of him. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, we will be saved. This is the Lord's doing, he says. 
in our, di- in our days. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice in it. Salvation is always a beautiful work that God has done as he took that stone and made it the cornerstone, the place where we can find hope and salvation. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. You know, we say that line sometimes, don't we? This is the day the Lord has made. And we look around and we're reminded of the beauty that God has created. You know, the beauty that we see created here, yeah, it is the work of God's hand. But the real beauty is that perfect piece of fur or that perfect capstone, Jesus Christ, where his blood was shed for us so our sins can be forgiven. Save us, O pray, O Lord, give us success, verse 25. Save us. The same idea as verse 19. Open the gates of righteousness. The valiant right hand of God is open. Sitting at the right hand of God the Father, interceding on our behalf. And he, he prays for success. You know, I, I, I want to pray for success. I want to think about this church plant we're doing and pray for success. And you know what? I can say, Lord, please bring 150 people and may they all be tithers and may we, you know, um, get our own place. And I drive past this old kind of burned out gas station and I think, oh man, we could like renovate that into a church building. But what is Success. Is it our stuff? Is it our building? You know what success is? It's spiritual success. As we are going out in ministry, it's am I right with the Lord? Is my family right with the Lord? Is Phil right with the Lord? Is Phil's family with the Lord right with the Lord? If the few people that God has brought to us, are they in good relationship with the Lord? That's actually success. You know, I may not be the most flamboyant personality in the world, but you can build a a community gathering around a personality. You can build it around money. You can build it around a building. But if the Lord's not in it, it's junk. The success is when we're right with God and we can share that gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's success. And you know what? Sometimes we can pray about practical things. We can ask that the Lord gives us success. I ask that the Lord will bring us 20 people. You know, I remember praying in this church many times. And I, you know, I remember sitting here and there being a specific prayer that the Lord bring a dozen families. You know, I look out and some families have moved away, but there's got to be a dozen new ones in the last year or two. The Lord takes work, cares about the little things as well. But it's our spiritual success is importance one. And our physical things, I would say, are secondary. So therefore, he says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. He goes on and says, this is the response. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords upon the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. The response is worship. Remember, he was writing from a place of despondency, a place of despair, a place of of a swarm of bees. Fire he couldn't control. And he's reminded 
that it's the righteous right hand of God who acted valiantly on the cross. The righteous right hand of God who exalts us before God the Father, who gives us noble character before God the Father. And they worship. They bring thanksgiving. They bring praise. Here it says they came together and they brought sacrifice. You know what's beautiful? Is that we do not have to have sacrifice. I'm not really a fan of the idea of coming to church and having a blood sacrifice. I don't know about you guys. I'm not a real fan of that. And you know why we don't need to and we never have to? Because Jesus has done it. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made of hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as was appointed to man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ has been offered once to bear all sins, to bear the sin of many who appear, uh, sorry, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. We do not have to have blood sacrifice because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for the sin of the world. Your sin, my sin, all the sin of the world. You know, he wasn't just tied on an altar, he was nailed on a cross. I'll never forget the teaching at Gethsemane. When we're there, Gethsemane uh, essentially means press, the idea of a wine press. That's where Jesus, as the weight of, of what was coming and the weight of the world came upon him, his blood vessels burst and he, he sweat teardrops. As he suffered for us. And therefore, we no longer need to have really kind of nasty things because Jesus is our perfect sacrifice and it's done, it's finished when we put our faith in him. So let's say, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Like I say, I don't know where you guys are at. I, I, I know some things are going on. And I know there's tough things. And it's not easy. I'm encouraged in this passage to give thanks to the Lord. Because no matter what, he's got us hemmed in. No matter what swarm of bees, he's got us hemmed in. So I don't know about you guys, I want to bring worship before my king. I want to bring praise before my king. I want to bring song before my king. And thank him for his goodness. Just think of what is some of these phrases in this passage. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. The Lord help me. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. I will praise thee for you have heard me and have become my salvation. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. God is good. He has showed us the light. 
You are God and I will praise you. You are God and I will exalt thee. So that's my prayer, that we would praise him and exalt him. This morning, um, Matt's going to lead us in communion as we remember that sacrifice that Jesus did for us, where his body was beaten and torn and where he died for us. So... um,